Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 65, Influence 3.0, Upgrade from Leadership to Impact. inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Today, we're going to be talking about Influence 3.0, Upgrade from Leadership to Impact. But first, I want to say thank you to everybody who has been engaging with us on the content of our past episodes in various formats. Uh, First of all, on LinkedIn, we had uh, a comment from Max recently about our episode 58 featuring Tom Rath talking about his book, Eat, Move, Sleep. Max said, what grabbed me most was the part about how many hours a week people can work before burnout. I would agree with that. And another thing that really hit me hard on that topic was the that sleeping fewer than six hours a night is the number one reason for burnout at work. So if you can get above six hours of sleep, uh, you're, you're much less likely to get burnout. In fact, Tom Rath points out that studies on top performers in areas like sports and the arts and music and so forth, they actually get way more than the average American. They're more like eight and a half hours or even nine hours of sleep a night. So six really doesn't cut it, and and six or less is actually the number one factor for burnout at work. Also, on Twitter, Michael commented that, uh, like me, I had mentioned that I was reading Malcolm Gladwell's new book, David and Goliath. He mentioned that he's reading it. I asked him how it's coming so far, and he said he's very much enjoying it. He loves all of of, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's books. Also on Twitter, Todd shared that our recent guest from episode 61, David Burkus, was recently interviewed on CBS about his new book, Myths of Creativity, which we talked to him about that too back on episode 61. And uh, there's a link to that. Uh, as If you go back to episode 61, we've put a link to his very short interview on CBS. So it's a great way to kind of get some nuggets from that book. It's only about two or three minutes long. You can find that at engagingleader.com forward slash six one. So feel free to jump into those conversations with us on Twitter where I am at Jesse Leahy. Also, you'll find us on Facebook at Engaging Leader. And uh, thank you very much recently to Diane, Dan, Stacy, and Cody for liking our page recently. On iTunes, we had some, we're had we now up to 65 reviews. Thank you so much for everyone who has provided a review on iTunes. That is the number one place uh, that people find out about our show. And having reviews from folks like you is the number one reason that people find us in iTunes. So thank you so much. Uh, most recently, Kathy Birch said, Excellent interviews conducted in an engaging and easy-to-follow manner. Highly recommend. If you would be so kind as to leave us a review in iTunes, we would greatly appreciate it. You can just search for Engaging Leader in within iTunes and we'll show up. Or you can go to our website, engagingleader.com, and over on the right-hand side, you'll see a big button for iTunes that will take you to the place to provide a review. Also, on our engagingleader.com, you can uh, contact us via email. We recently heard from a couple people. And uh, Karen said, thanks so much for the effort you put into providing such quality content. Thanks for being personal, professional, and practical. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Karen. 
Also, I had a great uh, email exchange with Bill, who is the executive director of a small nonprofit in Dallas. He's heard, uh, he caught, first caught our interview with Karen Hurt back on episode 54 when we talked about confident humility. And I want to just mention this to you. I'll put a link in our show notes as well. Uh, so Bill, Bill said, uh, thanks for this great resource. I'm a lawyer by training, so this is the first nonprofit I've led, and these are very helpful to me. Uh, I went and checked out Bill, um, and he's got a, a great write-up of his story, how he got involved with the Human Rights Initiative of North Texas, which is a nonprofit that provides pro bono legal services for people fleeing civil wars in their home countries. For many years, he was a, a just was he was a, a a lawyer, and he dedicated some time uh, on a regular basis to provide pro bono legal services, and has been involved so much over the years that uh, in the last couple of years he, be, he took over as the executive director for that organization. It's a very powerful story. Um, you can find it if you go to the website asylumist.com. And the title of the article is From Private Attorney to NGO Director. But we'll put a link to that in our show notes as well. So addition to, in addition to connecting with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, feel free to send me an email where I am jesse at engagingleader.com. Or you can leave an audio message, which is wonderful because we can very easily include you in one of our podcast conversations. To, to do that, you can call 989-787-0060, or you can go to engagingleader.com and click on the record voicemail button. All right. Well, Influence 3.0, what's that about? This is a concept that I have been thinking about quite a lot lately and, and writing about it uh, on our blog at engagingleader.com. And it's been one of our most commented on and shared and tweeted discussions uh, over the past year. So I thought it'd be good to talk about this a bit on the podcast. The headline is that Influence 1.0 was management. Influence 2.0 was leadership. And unfortunately, neither of those are powerful enough. Neither of those are going to keep you as a top business performer in the 21st century. Instead, those who are in the top quartile of business results are actually performing a higher level of influence. And I call it engagership. It's a step beyond leadership. It's engagership. Why do I call it engagership as opposed to simply engagement? Well, because I think if I say engagement, many of you are going to assume that you know what that means. Either we're talking about employee engagement, and there's a whole field dedicated to specifically how do we engage employees in their jobs, uh, which I have to say the the research on that is is rather sad, how ineffective many of the supposed systems for improving employee engagement is that overall nationwide we are not really improving employee engagement according to the survey data. But anyway, if I say engagement, people think I'm talking about employee engagement. Or they think I'm just talking about getting somebody's attention, uh, which is a definite goal in any kind of communication, including leadership communication. You need to engage their attention, get their involvement. Um, but it, it actually goes beyond that. 
But let's take a step back and just break this down. So first of all, Influence 1.0 is about being a manager, an effective manager. A manager is somebody who works through people to get things done. Influence 2.0 is about being a leader. A leader sets direction and inspires people to get the right things done. So a manager works through people to get things done. A leader sets direction and inspires people to get the right things done. This has been, a de- you could say, a debate for decades now. People t- talking about the difference between being a manager and a leader and why that's fundamentally different. In fact, I just earlier today interviewed George Bratt uh, about his upcoming book, First Time Leader, and he said the number one problem first-time leaders face is failing to understand that leading requires entirely different strengths than does doing it yourself or managing, than getting things done yourself or getting things done through other people. This difference between management and leadership started being talked a lot, uh, started being discussed a lot in the late 1980s. Stephen Covey talked about it in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Warren Bennis talked about it in On Becoming a Leader. He said, the manager administers, the leader innovates. The manager maintains, the leader develops. The manager has a short-range view. The leader has a long-range perspective. The manager asks how and when. The leader asks what and why. The manager has his or her eye always on the bottom line. The leader's eye is on the horizon. Now, I think we can all agree that any organization needs both. You need good management. That's critical to quality and customer service and profitability. In fact, that once upon a time... It wasn't, we didn't have effective management in the business world. When you go back to the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, you had, you had the capitalists like Andrew Carnegie and J.D. Rockefeller, and they weren't, they did not see themselves as professional managers. They didn't study the science of managing people. They saw themselves as capital. They were the capital, and then they were, uh, they were putting in place labor, which was simply another kind of equipment or machinery or capital that they used. Uh, we today would call it human resources or human capital, but to them it was just labor. And they saw really less emphasis, less reason to invest in labor than they did in their actual equipment. If they invested in what they called labor-saving devices, they they got a, an ROI on that. It paid back. They didn't see the value of investing in their people and how they could be more efficient with people. They just saw how technology could make them more efficient because that's what the Industrial Revolution was all about. It began with technology and, and big machinery. So what we would today call look back on and call the robber barons they were actually pre-influence 1.0. They were not even management. And then from the early 1900s through the post-World War II years, management became a key to the success in the ongoing industrial era. You saw the assembly line of Henry Ford. You saw uh, Ford rolling out the eight-hour workday and and have and a forty-hour work week. You saw the scientific management principles of Frederick Taylor and Franklin Lillian Gilbreth and uh, W. Edwards Deming, 
and they proved that management skills created efficiency and impacted the bottom line. So you can look back and say, Influence 1.0, management, that was the domain of supervisors and middle management, and to a great extent, that's still the case today. You want to have, if you have a supervisor, you want to have that person be an effective manager. If you are assigned as the project manager, you need to know some of the skills that will make that process efficient and effective. Now, Influence 2.0, leadership, we started to see that being studied and presented as its own field of of expertise, its own body of knowledge in the 1970s and 80s as the economy shifted to the information age. So we move out of where the in, out of the industrial era and into the information age. And attention at this point shifted to the leverage of a key leader, especially the role of a CEO. You saw Lee Iacocca leading Chrysler's turnaround, and he actually became a TV personality. He had commercials that challenged, if you can find a better car, buy it. And you saw Jack Welch trimming 25% of GE's workforce and at the same, and, and doing so, increasing the company's value by 4,000%. Of course, it wasn't just trimming the workforce. It was him be stepping up and being a visionary, charismatic leader. And it's about that same time that you saw Warren Bennett's publishing on becoming a leader. It's also during that same era that CEOs started earning breathtaking pay levels. Back in the industrial economy, CEOs had earned about 20 times more than typical workers. But by 2000, CEOs were earning about 400 times more than typical workers. However, by 2000, the world of influence was already changing again. And companies that had this influence 2.0 level leader were starting to fall behind. They were being leapfrogged by companies with leaders, top executives who were practicing what I'm going to call influence 3.0 or engagership. Up until that point, great leaders the ones who produced the superior results, top quartile results in both financial performance and employee morale or engagement, if you want to call it that, but back then we tended to just measure morale. They were the, we, we, we thought of them as being the charismatic, visionary, and excellent at making decisions. That's what a great leader was, was thought of, and that held true in terms of the results that they achieved. A great leader was charismatic, visionary, and excellent at making decisions. By the mid-90s, however, it started to become obvious that what was setting apart the superior companies and organizations was Influence 3.0, what I call now call Influence 3.0 or Engagership. It was uh, a top executive who was stimulating people, who was unleashing people, unleashing their talent, unleashing their passion, and focusing the collective talent and passion of the team. So they were going beyond managing or leading. They weren't directing things. They were cultivating a team to serve a shared purpose that they defined and shaped together. To quote George Bradigan right here in his book, he says, he's talking about today, great leaders go one step further to co-create 
a purpose-driven future with their followers, co-creating something with their followers. That's very different than the advice I was given by another leader when I was explaining the, uh, a, a leadership conundrum that I was in, and he said, well, you need to step, stand up and cast a vision for this group. So once upon a time, great leaders casted a vision, but now in the 21st century, starting in the, since in the, in the 90s, it's about co-creating not a vision, but a purpose. What are we, what is our epic meaning and call to use a phrase from the gamification guru Yukai Chow an epic meaning and call something that we are going to be inspired by from the the depths of our souls and that's not something that I as a leader can just cast to you that's something that we need to figure out together and co-create that purpose together it's not a vision that hey we're marching toward that it's What's the reason why we are even here together? We are creating widgets, but why are we creating those widgets? What ultimate purpose is that serving? I think it's confusing to continue to call that leadership because it's not what most people think as a leader is. It's, it's in the same way we had to come up with a different term besides manager to explain leadership because it's they look a lot alike a manager and a leader they look a lot alike but they accomplish very different things in the same way an engager accomplishes something different than a leader and to be the best to survive even as we go forward in this new connected economy we're going to have to be engagers not just leaders is this just a nice to have something that you maybe want to do to take your impact to the next level? I don't think so. I think it's a a non-negotiable. I think management and leadership have become table stakes. Think about what's happened since the 90s. In the early 1990s, the Iron Curtain fell. And then we had the internet started to become more widely used. And then came the web. And the world was becoming smaller. It was becoming more diverse. It was becoming more connected. Market conditions changed more quickly, and they started to become more complex and harder to predict. So I can't just be the leader who has all the information, and I'm making decisions, and I'm thinking ahead and and guessing where the market's going to be. I need a, a whole team that, number one, is very agile and nimble, and we're all making decisions, um, and the team is accountable for those decisions. And when a change comes along, as you know it will, and that decision is no longer the best one, the team needs to be okay with that and just and, and feel energized by the fact that we have the capacity to react, to plan ahead and yet react with what comes because it's, it's getting harder to predict, maybe even impossible to predict a lot of the changes that come, that come along. So things are changing more quickly, becoming more complex. Also, information is no longer the domain of the corporate brass. It used to be only the leader and the top leaders in the organization had all the key data. Now, everybody in the company can find out what they need to know. And if that's not the case at your organization, then you're going to get eaten up by your competitors because they have given all, pushed all the information to all of their people. And so everybody has that. So why should decisions only be made by the top brass? Now, it's no longer 
okay, it's no longer effective for old white guys to have all the information to make the decisions to cast the vision. We have a much more diverse workforce serving a much more diverse set of customers. So it may not be true in every market or every type of organization. For example, maybe uh, as George Bratt pointed out, maybe the Navy still needs to have, it, it, there's very good reasons for it to still have a, a command and control type of culture. But he contrasts that with the Army, which is um, much more in need of decisions being made by small teams and being nimble. There still, of course, is, is a certain amount of command and control in the Army compared to the average corporation. But on the whole, I would say most organizations that still practice command and control leadership, they are not going to succeed going forward in the 21st century. But even beyond that, okay, we, we, I think that's easy to say. Command and control, yeah, that's so 20th century. But so is just visionary, charismatic, what we could call bold leadership. When I say bold, I don't mean, I'm not just saying that leaders don't need to be brave because they certainly do. But in terms of that classic Lee Iacocca type leader or Jack Welch or even Steve Jobs being the one that has the vision and the voice and the personality of the company, uh, that that's not going to continue to be successful on the whole. There, there will be some exceptions. There, there'll be the Steve Jobs that that still were successful even after these changes took place because they had a certain amount of genius, because they had a certain amount of luck. And Steve Jobs, quite frankly, already had a huge amount of capital by the time that these changes took place in the mid-90s. So he had the money, the financial wherewithal to continue to to move ahead even when he had some epic failures. And that allowed him to to uh, leverage his genius and uh, the, the rest of the talent. But Steve Jobs was very much that genius with a thousand helpers that Jim Collins says is the old way of doing things. And now it, you can't be a genius with a thousand helpers. You need to be an engager that doesn't empower your people, but rather plugs into the power that they already have. So by the mid-90s, you started to see researchers notice the shift, notice the difference, not just in the style, but in the results that was coming out of companies that had switched to this Influence 3.0 model, maybe without even realizing it. In 1995, Daniel Goldman published Emotional Intelligence, making the case that soft skills like empathy had a greater impact than IQ and decisiveness and other traditional leadership skills. In 1997, David Burnham published Power is Still the Great Motivator with a Difference. Uh, We've featured him on the Engaging Leader podcast in the past, but his research pointed out that superior results were no longer produced by that charismatic, decisive style of leadership, even when it was dressed up in a new democratic clothing. And then I just mentioned Jim Collins. In 2001, he published Good to Create, and he had research across 20 uh, companies that was compiled out of even a much wider data set than that. But he showed that there was superior influence in what he called the level five leader, which was a a humbler CEO in contrast to the typical genius with a thousand helpers. So what is Influence 3.0? Well, what is it not? It's, It's not about you and your team. It's not about you and your vision. It's about the team. 
It's about the team making things happen, things that both you and the team care deeply about. You may be the leader, but you're not the center. You're not driving the team and making decisions. You're cultivating a team that makes decisions. You're stimulating healthy dialogue. You're helping the team discover its purpose and vision. And you're helping the team stay focused on its purpose and the results that matter. There's still a need for somebody to be the engager, to cause, to stimulate that dialogue, to uh, help to draw out uh, from the team, to plug into the power that they have, and to help them stay focused. Because in this day and age, people are so easily distracted and, and can 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 switch on a dime and so once they define a purpose we need to engage them in staying focused on it and on the results that matter i love this quote from jim collins in good to great it goes it's all the way back from 2001 but it's still so appropriate today i don't know where he's he's paraphrasing the attitude of level five leaders and he says i don't know where we should take this company but i do know that if i start with the right people ask them the right questions, and engage them in vigorous debate, we will find a way to make this company great. So management was Influence 1.0. Leadership was Influence 2.0. What's changing the world today is Influence 3.0, which I'll call Engagership. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking more about Influence 3.0, what it is, why it's important, how can you put it into practice. But let me tell you, first of all, next time on episode 66, we're going to be inviting back our friend Sylvia LaFerre to talk about her new book, Gutsy, How Women Leaders Make Change. And then on episode 67 after that, we'll talk some more about Influence 3.0. We'll look at the three drivers of the new connected economy that are demanding the shift to Influence 3.0. Let me encourage you that uh, to, to let us know what you think about this Influence 3.0. Uh, provide your feedback in the comments section or send us a tweet about it or share it with us on LinkedIn or Facebook. I want to know, what do you think? Is this, uh, is this something that's real, that it really is a difference beyond leadership? And is it helpful to try to coin a new term, whether that be Influence 3.0 or engagership, or is that just kind of too cute and and rub you the wrong way? Let us know what you think. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at aspendalecommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about.